it's just such a relief to get them vaccinated. Tonight, relief as seniors prepare to roll up their sleeves in communities around the province. Plus, why do other provinces appear to be ahead of BC's inoculation schedule? And... Perfection was in my leg and it could have killed me. Lots of things could have killed me when I was in ICU. He lost his leg in an attack in Strathcona Park. Now, for the first time, his amazing survival story. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news tonight. Another change in the schedule for age-based vaccination bookings. The province is moving up the schedule, now allowing more seniors to book their shots sooner. Keith Baldry joins us now with the details. And Keith, the news a lot of people have been hoping for. Yeah, it's certainly stark, uh, stark contrast to the, what occurred last Monday, because tomorrow uh, the problems we counted last Monday have basically disappeared. They've caught up with uh, getting everyone appointed that needed one over the age of 90. And so people over the age of 80 were supposed to wait till next week. Good news for you. You can now start entering the queue this week. Here's some of the, the information I think is going to become for good news for many people. Again, this is about 105,000 people, and it's going to be made in one-year intervals. So, for example, 84-year-olds, they can phone tomorrow to make Make an appointment on Monday. 83-year-olds can phone on Tuesday and so on throughout the week. So if you're 80, you phone on Friday. So this is unexpectedly good news. As I say, about 105,000 people positively uh, impacted by this. The advice from health officials, Colleen, is the call centers tend to be almost overwhelmed or, or busiest in the morning. Best to wait till late afternoon or early evening. And you can get a lot of that information off your local health authority website. So again, good news to start the week for, for the next round of vaccinations. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Keith. The number of British Columbians to actually be vaccinated is about to rise dramatically. Tomorrow, immunization clinics begin for those 85 years old and up in the general population and Indigenous people 65 and older. Grace Key has more on what we can expect and the relief being felt by so many families. All across the province, communities are gearing up for the first round of vaccinations for age cohorts. The last time I hugged my parents, that was a long time ago. I bet it's been a year. You know, it's, it's, that's really kind of sad. Anne-Marie Copping will be taking photos of her parents getting their shots Monday morning to send to her siblings to celebrate. It's just such a relief to get them vaccinated and get them back to, you know, a regular more of a regular life. My mom really misses going to bridge with her friends and my dad, you know, staying after golf and chatting with, you know, chatting with the guys that he golfs with um, and getting together with family. Vancouver Coastal Health will have 25 sites activated at different times over the four-week campaign. Health authorities are asking people not to arrive too early for their appointments. We don't want lineups. We want to uh, respect distancing because of uh, COVID guidelines. Uh, we are asking people to bring a piece of ID and also a, a shirt that they can roll the sleeve up so they can receive their vaccination. Uh, we are asking them to bring someone with them if they uh, need that assistance, uh, preferably one person. Fraser Health will also be adding the convenience of five drive-through clinics so people don't even have to get out of their cars. There will be screeners at the start of the process. Prince George transformed its civic center into a vaccination clinic. People will walk into register and wait here until they're called. They'll enter another area to get their shots and then wait in another room for 15 minutes to make sure they don't get an adverse reaction. It's 
central to the community. It has access uh, on BC Transit. Uh, and it's lots of parking around. It's a big facility. People can stay their distance. Uh, you can be well protected in here. Uh, so for me, this is a key location and uh, they couldn't have picked a better spot. The second age cohort was moved up a few days. No word yet if that'll happen for the next age group. Grace Key, Global News. And as Keith Baldry mentioned, that has happened. Well, one of the exceptions to the age-based immunization plan is also about to get underway. Tomorrow, all adult residents of the northern city of Prince Rupert and neighboring Port Edwards can begin to receive vaccinations. Infection rates in those communities have surged recently, forcing health officials to carry out these whole community inoculations. Imadi Gahi reports from Prince Rupert. Well, it has been a surprising start to an historic week here in Prince Rupert, an unusual time of the year for a snowstorm that has blanketed the entire area over the weekend and is sure to make things a lot more exciting heading into tomorrow morning when health officials aim to kick off a very large uh, mass vaccination effort here in this remote community. Those between the ages of 60 and 95 will be the first vaccinated starting tomorrow. Today, a select few were given shots early because they're actually taking part in a soft clinic launch at the vaccine site, which is the Jim Ciccone Civic Center. This was to prepare for the real opening Monday morning when vaccinations will happen from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and then continue each day. Northern Health expecting to go through between 850 to 1,000 appointments per day through its 12 vaccination stations. The goal for Northern Health here is to vaccinate every adult over the next two and a half weeks. We really believe in what is taking place and how it will affect us. And I just hope and pray that everything is gonna go smoothly in this place called Prince Rupert. Now, earlier this weekend, the only highway into Prince Rupert was closed because of snow and avalanche hazards, but the road has since reopened and Northern Health doesn't expect that to cause any issues or delays. But there is more snow in the forecast for the next coming days, and it will be something to keep an eye on as hundreds of people try getting to appointments starting tomorrow morning. In Prince Rupert, Amadagahi, Global News. There are questions about why all Alberta seniors will be eligible for a COVID vaccine tomorrow when BC is only just beginning to offer its first doses to seniors outside of long-term care. Bookings opened in BC last week for seniors over age 90 and later to those over age 85. In Alberta, bookings for anyone 65 and older will open on Monday. The province began giving the AstraZeneca vaccine to residents age 50 to 64 on March 10th. So far, Alberta has administered nearly 35,000 fewer doses than BC. Well, there are some demographic factors at play. Um, BC has an older population than Alberta, and so it's going to take longer to get through BC's, say, 85 pluses before it would take to get through Alberta's. Um, BC also has more uh, Indigenous people who, who were also prioritized in both provinces. The B.C. Health Ministry says the province is focusing on immunizing the highest risk population first and every jurisdiction is working with their own unique demographics, population-based and geography. In Ontario, Premier Doug Ford announced the province's vaccine booking system is ready to start taking appointments tomorrow morning for those 80 and older. Officials say the system has been stress-tested to handle a high volume. 
Saskatchewan is also expanding its rollout. Anyone 70 years of age or older can book their vaccine appointment starting tomorrow. The superintendent of the Surrey School District says it's pursuing targeted measures against the pandemic to help more vulnerable schools in the district. In a posted video, Jordan Tinney says the impacts of COVID-19 have not been felt equally across the district. He notes that socioeconomic inequality is a major factor in how easily students can self-isolate and that the toll on both staff and students is high. Tinney says the measures strengthen and expand what is possible within the existing public health orders, but including mask wearing is outside of their mandate. We came up with a plan around how could we be more targeted in using the language of universal and targeted and intensive. So at the universal level, it's these are things for all schools, things like all meetings should be on, uh, you know, video platforms wherever possible. Um, and then to things that are more targeted and intensive where we need to work with the medical health officer to look at the schools that have high prevalence or um, continue to have exposures and have self-isolations and look at more, um, more intensive things we can do right in the school, like limiting the amount of adults that move across cohorts. So, so those types of things. Tinney says the district has sent out more than 2,000 COVID-19 exposure letters since the start of the school year. On Saturday alone, he said the district mailed out letters about self-monitoring to 17 classes and 40 letters to self-isolate to two teachers and 37 individuals. Fraser Health now says a significant COVID-19 cluster led to a mass vaccination and testing of employees at the Port Coquitlam Costco on Saturday. The health authority adds it's part of its aggressive response to high-risk work settings, including locations where it's seeing outbreaks and clusters. Vancouver Coastal Health is alerting the public to two new potential COVID-19 exposures at bars. They happened at the Blarney Stone Pub in Gastown on March 5th and at Bimini's Beer Hall on West 4th in Kitsilano March 6th, on March 6th. Both exposures are believed to be low risk, but anyone who was at the Blarney Stone or Bimini's on those dates is asked to self-monitor for symptoms. The UBC Graduate Student Society has joined other Canadian graduate student societies calling on the federal government to allow international grad students to quarantine at campuses. That's instead of staying at government-approved hotels right now. People entering the country have to book a three-day stay at a government-approved hotel and test negative before continuing the rest of their quarantine elsewhere in the country. The government has said this stay could cost up to $2,000 for the three days, which the society says is overly prohibitive. We've heard from a lot of students that the mandatory three-day hotel stay is unaffordable and financially inaccessible, especially for graduate students who oftentimes come to Canada with dependents. We'd like to ask the federal government to allow those students to stay at university residences uh, and use their isolation plans plans that have been in place for the last six to nine months since the start of the pandemic. We think the university residence isolation plans are a more affordable and equitable alternative to the three-day mandatory hotel stay, which can be quite expensive. After being closed to the public for almost a year, the Vancouver Park Board aims to reopen the western portion of Oppenheimer Park, the downtown east side, in June. 
and says a phased approach to reopening the green space will allow restoration work to continue after the 18-month encampment damaged the park. It will also allow community members to help influence the park's future, including helping prevent another tent city. Oppenheimer has been fenced off since last May when the province took control and moved campers to housing as part of its response to the COVID pandemic. Plans to reopen the park last fall were delayed by a break-in at the field house. The final price tag, nearly a million dollars. The first of two men viciously assaulted at Vancouver's Strathcona Park tent city last fall is on the road to recovery after four months in hospital and rehab. Kristen Robinson has more on his battle to come back after suffering horrific injuries. He's fighting every day. It's just a battle between my brain, you know, fighting. You know, the bad wolf, the sad wolf. Carl Sinclair is determined to move forward after a life-altering injury. It's a hard go, but getting through it. Last fall, the 25-year-old was working in construction and had his own apartment, but in what he says was a toxic relationship. A fight with his then-girlfriend led to an assault charge, and he lost his home. That's how I ended up in Tent City, and things went just downhill from there. I was blacked out, so I don't know, I don't remember anything. In September, Sinclair was attacked. His mother discovered him in Vancouver General Hospital's intensive care unit. He had broken ribs, he had a torch burn from on his chest, and he had his piece of meat cut off his arm, and then he had a big hole on his hand. Police say her son was injured for up to 12 hours before anyone called 911. And to throw him in a tent after or whatever, and just leave him there to die was heartbreaking. He had been laying on his leg for over 12 hours, so that stopped the blood flow. Weeks later, 46-year-old Adam Blackburn was found bleeding eight hours after he was stabbed inside a tent. I've had two, uh, three surgeries. I was only there for a week, and look what happened to me. Sinclair's left leg was amputated. His arm was saved, but he has nerve damage in some fingers. This is as much as I can move my hat. Some days I wish I could walk and I wish I could go anywhere I want, but, you know, it gets pretty depressed and gets pretty lonely, sad. Sometimes I just turn my mind around to think posit positive. Look at that, popping wheelies. After three months in hospital and a month of rehab, he's now mobile and recovering in outpatient therapy. It's really, it's heartbreaking, even today sometimes to watch my son struggle. To try to do everyday things is sometimes hard for him and he gets frustrated. It hurts me to watch him go through that sometimes. With his family's support, Sinclair plans to eventually get out of his wheelchair. One day I will be able to walk again with my prosthetic leg. He's got a strong spirit and I'm really proud of him for that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police calls to Strathcona Park more than doubled after the tent city appeared last June, soaring through the fall and reaching a peak in October when there was an almost 2,000% spike over 2019. Calls to the park have been on the decline ever since, but are still on average 1,200% higher year over year. Coldstream's Rainbow Crosswalk has been vandalized for a second time. The crosswalk on Kalamaka Road near Cal Beach was installed back in 2017 as a symbol of inclusion. It was splattered with what appears to be grey paint. The damage has a local LGBTQ2 advocate calling for more education. The whole point of the Rainbow Crosswalks is to signify uh, inclusion, 
They're meant to represent kindness and respect. The sidewalks are for everybody in our community. It's unfortunate that somebody has made this gesture of hate. And what it really signifies is that we have more work to do in our community. The crosswalk was also defaced in 2019. Crews used a pressure washer to clean the vandalism then. Coldstream's mayor is hoping this latest vandalism will be removed just as easily. The city of Chicago unexpectedly dyed the Chicago River green Saturday morning as part of its long-standing tradition to celebrate St. Patrick's Day dating back to 1962. The event took place earlier than usual and was not publicized in order to prevent people from gathering and spreading COVID-19. In years past, city officials have said the dye is safe. Pressure is mounting on London's police commissioner to resign. Her officers are being criticized for the way they treated people attending a vigil for Sarah Everard. The 33-year-old was kidnapped and killed earlier this month while walking home. The man accused of the crime is a metropolitan police officer. As Ross Lord explains, Everard's death has sparked anger right across the UK and in this country. At a time of growing questions about policing in the Western world, this is a public relations disaster. Protesters in London outraged not only that a police officer allegedly killed Sarah Everard as she was walking home at night, but also at police aggression against people mourning her death. Police removed women from the vigil honouring Everard, leading some away in handcuffs while being accused of betrayal. Online, hashtags like she was just walking home are resonating around the world with women who felt fear all of their lives about walking alone at night. The simple universal act of walking somewhere and home especially to go hopefully to a safe environment and that you can be murdered simply because you're female for no other reason. Danielle Jack from BC's Mamalikala First Nation led a march this weekend honoring missing and murdered Indigenous women. She's had her own horrific experiences. When I was 12, I was um, abducted, uh, brutally raped and beaten and stripped naked and left in a ditch. In the UK, advocates note the number of women murdered by men is at an all-time high. Compounding the despair is the fact Everard's alleged killer is Metropolitan Police Constable Wayne Cousins, whose main job was patrolling diplomatic buildings. The way police handled the vigil is being criticised, some calling it an unthinkable insult. I think that the police got it wrong at every single turn. Police said they were simply enforcing COVID rules and were placed in this position because of the overriding need to protect people's safety. Quite rightly, as far as I can see, my team felt this is now an unlawful gathering uh, which poses a considerable risk to people's health, uh, according to the regulations. Uh, a really invidious position for officers to find themselves in. But London's mayor, Sadiq Khan, says police assured him the vigil would be managed sensitively. After meeting with police leaders, Khan said, I am not satisfied with the explanation they have provided. Khan is calling for a full independent investigation. The UK's Home Secretary is asking the force for a full report on what happened. Ross Lord, Global News. The UK is marking Mother's Day today, including the royal family. Buckingham Palace posted a photo of Queen Elizabeth as a young girl alongside the Queen Mother. And the caption reads, to all mums everywhere, we wish you a very special Mother's Day. The Queen's mum died in 2002 at the age of 101.
The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge shared on social media that every year Prince George, Princess Charlotte and little Prince Louis make cards about their Granny Diana for, the, for their dad, Prince William. Photos of cards of each of the children were posted with a message noting it's a particularly tough day for those who have suffered bereavement. Outrage is growing over a cartoon published by French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. It's a depiction of the Queen kneeling on the neck of the Duchess of Sussex, echoing the killing of George Floyd. And a warning, you may find this image offensive. The cartoon published yesterday is titled Why Meghan Quit Buckingham. Meghan is then drawn to say, because I couldn't breathe anymore. The cover image comes days after Meghan and her husband, Prince Harry, made allegations of racism within the royal family in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. The CEO of the UK's race equality think tank tweeted, the cartoon is wrong on every level. This doesn't push boundaries, make anyone laugh or challenge racism. It demeans the issues and causes offense across the board. The Netherlands is the latest in a growing list of countries to temporarily suspend the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. It comes on the heels of Ireland putting it on pause as well. Health officials in that country say it's being made out of an abundance of caution. Denmark, Iceland and Norway suspended the vaccine after reports of serious blood clots. Norway's medicines agency has detected four cases of blood clots in adults after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. On Friday, the World Health Organization said there is no indication they were caused by the vaccine. Dr. Bonnie Henry says she is watching the situation closely. As we begin our mass inoculations here in B.C. and across Canada, there is light at the end of our pandemic tunnel. But a reminder tonight that none of us is safe until all of us are safe. Right now, Brazil is being ravaged by COVID and a variant that's spreading fast and could take hold around the world. The heart-wrenching scenes echo daily across Brazil. COVID is claiming nearly 3,000 lives every day now. Cemeteries struggle to keep pace. At hospitals, makeshift and otherwise, healthcare workers fight with dwindling resources. A more contagious COVID variant first detected here and now in 10 states in the U.S. is ravaging Brazilians old and young alike. This new type of strain is much different than the, the first one that we saw. The death rates are, are bigger now. Hospitals in one city recently ran out of oxygen. Desperate family members waited for hours, hoping to fill tanks for loved ones at home. Like this woman. Her mother sadly passed away. I, I kept in touch with several people who I met in the queue and very few of the family members survived. BBC reporter Katie Watson has watched the crisis unfold for months. So it's not an exaggeration to say that some hospitals in that country are on the brink of, of collapse. There are stories across states that people have been dying waiting for um, ICU beds. Brazil's president Jair Bolsonaro has sneered at the pandemic from the start. Stop whining, he recently told the country. Dr. Mauricio Nogueira of Sao Paulo University says the misinformation is sowing the seeds of despair. The next two months will be really, really bad for us. Curfews and closures are back in place, while only about 2% of Brazilians are vaccinated. The mutations, officials warn, do not respect borders. That can threaten progress elsewhere. Manuel Bojorquez, CBS News. Miami.
Meanwhile, on the other side of the planet, Aussie slash Kiwi band Crowded House wowed 6,000 fans at a live, yes, live concert in Queenstown, New Zealand last night. The band's second show in three days. Just a taste of what music fans here are hungry for. And once we get the pandemic under control, we'll be able to do again. New Zealand has had only one new case of COVID in the last 24 hours. The world-famous musician who delighted fellow vaccine recipients with a concert. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. Um, really quite spectacular. And, and you just mentioned light. Did you, did you say <laughs> I just walked past light? a window to come to the studio, and it's been nice to actually see light. Uh, it's always been dark, so it's nice to have the Happy bright Happy daylight saving. I love it. I love it. Uh, a nice <laughs> bright spot right now. We are going to see some breaks on the way. It has been gray, though. We've been tracking some wet weather. It was on and off, depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver. Here we can see in Crescent Beach, this one captured by Lorna with the wellies and an umbrella. Also, a different weather story in picture, especially along the island, where higher elevations had some flurries in the mix. We can see that in Sayward, taken by Joyce, and Harriet Bay, this one captured by Jones. So thank you so much. It is going to ease off for all areas across the south coast. We have double digits today. We even got up to 11 for the central Okanagan. Lillooet topping out at 15 degrees in areas near Cranbrook with highs closer to 14. Current tower cam, there's the bright lights that I was talking about, but it is still quite breezy for areas that are closer to the water. We're sitting at 5 degrees right now. We've got a westerly wind sustained at 37, but there are gusts right now that are closer to 50 kilometers per hour. We're sitting at 48. Overnight tonight, we've got some fog, but it is drying out. It'll be cool, especially for the early morning hours, so keep that in mind. We'll be down to minus one. We could still see a few lingering clouds with that fog for the morning hours, and then it starts to brighten up. We've got a bright spot for tomorrow, and temperatures closer to nine degrees. We've got a nice break from the precipitation across the west right now, but we're still seeing some wet weather stretching in towards the Fraser Valley. That is going to ease off overnight tonight, and we'll start to see this nice break. This is what we're anticipating with a weak ridge that is going to build in. In behind it, though, the next weather maker will target the north and central coast and some active weather is on the way. Most of it developing towards the morning hours along the northern half of the province. Could see some flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers, so a heads up. Across the southern interior, it's really the southeastern corners of the province that we could be seeing some wet weather. So still seeing some active weather. The winds will pick up along the coast for tomorrow. Inland, it'll be flurries and then changing over to showers. Much of the central interior, we've got some sunshine in the mix. The southeastern corners could still see some wet weather, especially for the early morning hours. Thompson, Okanagan tomorrow, though, Break uh, bright spots with temperatures closer to 9 degrees and all areas across the south coast. Fog for the morning hours, brightening up for the afternoon. Pleasant over the next couple of days. We will get into the double digits once again. Should manage to squeeze out three dry days. We could see the potential for some showers returning late day Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, though, Colleen, that's still a few days out. We've got some sunshine in the mix for tomorrow. And don't put the coat away yet. Minus one. Whew. Yeah, very cold in the morning. Yeah, all right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A world-famous musician made waiting during COVID vaccinations a little bit easier in Massachusetts on Saturday. Oh, how beautiful. After receiving his second shot yesterday, cellist Yo-Yo Ma used his 15-minute observation period at a clinic to give an impromptu live performance. It should be noted that it followed all pandemic rules. A health official told a local paper Ma, quote, wanted to give something back. People at the clinic seemed to enjoy it. 
Oh, we were supposed to hear some applause there, but but we'll we'll applaud him anyway. Um, I'm lucky just to get a harmonica when I get mine. Right. <laughs> uh, my question is though, did people know it was him? That's you true. know, here's a guy playing the cello, but he had his he had his cello case open, and, and I saw some of the video that, where somebody looked like went up and put <laughs> they money. They put five in bucks in there. Yeah, hey, it's too funny. They times may, are tough for Yo Yo Ma. Yeah, they may figure it out after when they see it goes viral on YouTube. Yeah. Then they'll be like, oh, we were there. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I, I got a concert for 25 cents. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Barry, what do you have coming up? Uh, great finish at the Players' Championship. A Canadian got into contention, so we'll uh, tell you about that. And a look back at the Canucks. Another win last night, and again, the biggest reason, Thatcher Demko. So Canucks still with a bit of a puncher's chance to get in those playoffs. It's going to take something uh, down the stretch for sure. Okay, fingers crossed. Thanks, Barry. Whether it's feeding ducks at the park, holding little chicks, or watching robins, it's hard not to smile when you're around birds. And as we're now finding out, that's not a coincidence. Turns out it's not just the bluebirds that bring us happiness. This is a wonderful bird. This is a violaceous taraco from Africa. Walk into the treasures of the rainforest at the Tracy Aviary and you're surrounded by birds of the world. This place makes me the happiest because all of these birds are just living life to the fullest. As you can hear around us, everyone is busy, everyone knows what to do. Kylie Jones Greenwood shares that happiness with visitors. All of my senses are engaged when I'm in here, from feeling the humidity to seeing the birds to listening to them call. According to a new study by German researchers, bird watching and particularly identifying new species lightens people's moods and provides as much satisfaction as getting a $150 a month raise. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. make me happy. Jonna Weber is an avid bird watcher. I've taken a birding class three years in a row. The research specifically shows that living and bird watching in areas with at least 14 varieties of birds can improve human well-being. In here we have way more than 14 species of birds and so just coming in here for a little bit on my breaks from work really fills my cup and gets me ready for the next part of my day. Tracy Aviary is about fostering a kind of happiness and joy for birds, but also making sure that we are making conservation efforts to protect them. Without that work, bird populations struggle. Definitely affected by things like climate change or habitat loss. So conservation efforts are really important to help birds wherever we can. Okay, they defend a 40 square mile. Which ties back to happiness among bird watchers. The more birds they see, the happier they are. So it's really important to have habitats that kind of foster that biodiversity of birds for both the sake of birds and for people's happiness and well-being. Barry's here with sports, and I've just been thinking how the pandemic has been good for the game of golf. Yeah, at, at all levels. Mm -hmm. you know, try getting a tee time even now around here. Yeah. But, uh, it's definitely fun, and it's fun to watch the best in the world, too, like we did uh, this week at the Players' Championship. Thanks, Colleen. Ontario's Corey Connors is establishing himself probably as Canada's uh, most dangerous threat to win on the PGA Tour. Connors finished third last week at the Arnold Palmer in Orlando, and today at the prestigious Players' Championship, Connors made a late rally to get into contention again against a star-studded leaderboard. Connors really kick-started his uh, push in the final round on the back nine. He birdied the 10th and then at the par 5-11. This is from 245, known as one of the purest ball strikers on tour. Such a smooth swing, about a 235 carry over the bunker, drops it over perfectly inside six feet, and then 
He rolls in the eagle putt, and that got him to nine under, and now he's inside the top ten. Meanwhile, the leaders brought everyone back into the tournament on a disastrous fourth hole. Leader Lee Westwood, trying to go under the trees, ends up in the water, ended up making a bogey, and playing partner uh, Bryson DeChambeau off the tee, yeah, he tops it. It went 100 yards. Even these guys do that once in a while. DeChambeau made double bogey, was out of sorts all day, did rally to finish tied for third, but not the best day for DeChambeau, who won last week at the Arnold Palmer. Meanwhile, Connors kept hitting great shots. Part uh, 313th, 151 yards, nine iron for him, brings it in beautifully, catches the slope, and that one will trickle down to within about five feet. And, of course, he got to back up the great tee shot by knocking it in the hole, and he does just that. Ten under par. At one point, he was in second place, just one back of the lead. Sixteenth hole, reached the par five and two, but could not convert. The six-footer for birdie, lips out, made par, but another great week for Connors. Finished seventh at ten under, pockets 506,000. He's made over 1.1 million the last two weeks. Meanwhile, Justin Thomas, all pars on the front, but then catches fire. Eagle at the 11th, knocks it down, and Thomas all of a sudden has the lead at 13 under, and then at the short par four 12th, Thomas drive just short of the green, shows off his wonderful short game. How about this shot? Rolls it to within inches of the cup, a tap in birdie. Thomas at 14 under, he's up by two. But Lee Westwood wasn't quite done yet. After Thomas bogeyed the 14th, the Englishman will birdie that same hole and we're tied at the top. Thomas did regain the lead at the uh, par 5 16th and then at the signature 17th has this testy six-footer for par and he clutches up, retains the one-shot lead. Now the pressure switches over to Westwood. He too with a lengthy, uh, lengthy par look at the 17th, making these all day long, but not this time, just lips out. First one he'd missed all day inside 10 feet, and that was pretty much it. Thomas taps in for the par at 18. He is the player's champ for the first time. It's been an emotional year for Thomas, who recently lost his grandfather. He had the controversial anti-gay slur caught on microphone that cost him sponsorship and much embarrassment. He's a close friend of Tiger Woods, who had a serious car crash, so a big win for him. By the way, Adam Hadwin tied 29th. Nick Taylor tied 48th. If the Canucks are going to make a miraculous charge to a playoff spot, you can bet Thatcher Demko will be the main reason they're even in the hunt. Demko was fabulous again last night, stopping 34 of 35 shots as the Canucks edge the Oilers 2-1. Canucks are three points behind fourth place Montreal, but the Habs do have four games in hand. Canucks play two games in Montreal next week, and they'll need to play with the same desperation and get more goaltending from Demko, Demko rather, like they did last night against Edmonton. Into the attacking zone, onto the wing, Ennis fires a shot. Rebound right there, Pugliarvi couldn't bury that. What a save by Demko. But David moves in and shoots, Demko the big save. Yamamoto shoots the rebound and that's deflected out of play. And let it go, Nugent Hopkins gets some open ice. Dreisaitl fires, big save by Demko. It's uh, awesome to see, you know, the last couple minutes there, guys just laying it out there, knowing what's at stake and... <clears throat> You know, I felt like we had about 20 blocks there in the last two minutes. So, um, just a, a really gritty effort by our team and uh, a huge two points. Yeah, it was gutsy effort. Um, you know, we've we harp a lot, a lot, of, a lot about the hard areas of the rink. We had a lot of guys step up and uh, do some things that aren't aren't comfortable all the time. 
NHL tonight, Leafs and Senators from Ottawa. Leafs donning the old Toronto St. Pat's jerseys with St. Patrick's Day looming next week. It wasn't easy being green for the Leafs early on. Brady Kachuk squeezes one past Michael Hutchinson, 1-0 Ottawa. And seven seconds later, right off the faceoff, Ryan Dezingle makes it 2-0. Hutchinson gets the hook. Freddie Anderson takes over. No night off for him after playing and losing to Winnipeg 5-2 last night. Second period, Ottawa on the power play. A great pass from the German rookie Tim Stutzla finds Drake Batherson. A beautiful goal. What a pass. Sens beat the Leafs. Toronto struggling 4-3 the final. Toronto has now lost 5 of 6. Show you another one. Wild and Coyotes. Minnesota's been the big surprise in the West Division. Dean Evison's team right in the mix for top spot. Third period tied at one. Former Canuck Nick Bonino in alone snaps it top shelf. That's his third. 2-1 Wild. And then on the power play, Kevin Fiala puts it away for the Wild as they win again 4-1. They have an impressive 17-8-1 record. Minnesota just two points behind first place Vegas Golden Knights in the West Division. Curling now, the Briar Semi this afternoon from the bubble in Calgary. Saskatchewan's Matt Dunstone taking on Alberta's Brendan Botcher. Tenth end, Botcher down one, but with hammer, needs to pull off a miraculous shot. The angle, Rays take out for two, and he makes it. Botcher wins 6-5 on the ice right now versus Calgary's Kevin Cooey in the All-Alberta Briar final. It's 1-0 Cooey after five full highlights at 11. The NFL's all-time leader in passing yards has retired. Drew Brees hanging him up after 20 seasons, 15 of them with the Saints, where he won a Super Bowl in 2010. Brees has over 80,000 career passing yards, about 1,100 more than second place Tom Brady, and his 571 TD passes are second only to Brady's 581. The 42-year-old Brees is a certain first ballot Hall of Famer. English uh, Premiership today, second place Manchester United taking on fifth place West Ham. The only goal coming off this United corner, headed into the back of the net. But it was friendly fire. Craig Dawson of West Ham unwittingly giving United the 1-0 win. They remain second, 14 points back of Man City. Meanwhile, third place Leicester City having uh, no problems keeping pace against last place Sheffield United. Jamie Vardy to Kalechi Iannaccio to make it 1-0. Iannaccio scoring for the third straight match for the Foxes, and he couldn't stop scoring today. Struck in the 39th as well. And uh, then in the 78th with a screamer, the Nacho Man firing the hat trick. 5-0 the final. Leicester City remain a point back of second place United. NASCAR Instacart 500 from Phoenix. 88 laps to go. Martin Truex Jr. in the red 19 Toyota. Ducks down low. Will slingshot past Joey Logano in the yellow number 22 Ford. Truex Jr. takes the lead. They had a restart with 25 to go. And Logano this time going down low, hoping to get the edge. But Truex Jr., too much horsepower. Swoops down, takes the lead again. And he would take it home from there as Martin Truex Jr., the winner of the NASCAR Cup. Instacart 500 from Phoenix. Well, it was uh, an inclement day weather-wise uh, for a little while anyway, but the rain didn't stop a very special parade in Burnaby today. A senior who survived COVID-19 marked another big milestone with lots of love from her community. Paul Johnson has the story. A blustery March day with just a hint of spring in the air. A reminder that it's been a year since this all began. And among those hit hardest by the pandemic are people living in long-term care homes. So what better than to pull out all the stops for this birthday girl? 
Burnaby's Helen Brown turned 99 Sunday, and her family's long involvement with public service in this city meant this was a milestone they were going to mark. On behalf of the Burnaby RCP, we would like to sincerely wish you a happy, happy birthday. One by one, they climbed the stairs to congratulate Helen on starting her 100th year. Mounties, firemen, friends and family. I think this is the best party I've ever been to. <laughs> She misses her friends terribly. She misses getting her hair done every week. Daughter Patricia Totchkin says just a couple of months ago, they thought this birthday party wasn't going to happen. We all thought she was not going to make it when I heard she got COVID. That was in December. And Helen was on oxygen for a while and lost her appetite, but recovered and has since had both Pfizer shots. This has been an outstanding day. Indeed it is. And birthdays like this always raise the question of what's the secret to a long and happy life? Patricia thinks it may have been never having the stress of a job other than raising six kids and never learning to drive. Here's Helen's theory. I think my longevity has just come from knowing so many wonderful people as I travel through the years. It makes me wish I could have 99 more. <laughs> and never losing your zest for life probably can't hurt. Like a lot of gals, Helen's still thrilled at the sight of a bunch of handsome young firemen coming by the house. And by the way, I'll give you all my phone number. <laughs> in Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. She's got oh, a good sense of humor. Don't mess with Helen. <laughs> Doesn't look a day over 65 either. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, um, not the only birthday being celebrated today, though. I don't think. Right, Yvonne? Oh, Yvonne. Happy birthday to anybody. <laughs> I know. You kept it on the DL. I kept it on the DL. I don't well, know who told you. What a great day to have a birthday on the first day of daylight savings yes. for a, a, a wonderful meteorologist. <laughs> exactly. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's here at 11 o'clock. Have a great evening.